The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 117. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Allons-y! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 10th Doctor story, 42. <laughs> That's a lot of numbers. Joining me today on the <laughs> panel are Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? Good. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Before we get started, as usual, I want to remind you to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on our Facebook page, The Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Retweet us on Twitter. Is it retweet us or retweet us? I don't even know how you pronounce it. Retweet us. Uh, (laughs) Otherwise, I'm I'm getting a little bit of a British pronunciation, I think. (laughs) We're at SQPN on Twitter. Uh, I'm I'm feeling a little weird today, guys, so just bear with me. Leave us comments. <laughs> subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in your favorite podcast app on YouTube, where you should hit the bell to get notifications. And, of course, please share this crazy, crazy podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Uh, so we're talking about an episode of the uh, the, the new, new Who with the 10th Doctor, David Tennant. Uh, this is 42, air, uh, aired at, or broadcast in May of 2007. Um, and uh, we're continuing in that third season with Martha Jones as his companion. And so basically the, the, the recap of this episode is the Doctor and Martha, they follow a distress signal and end up trapped on a spaceship that's hurtling toward a sun with only 42 minutes left to impact. And the, and the, uh, the gimmick of the show, let's shall we say, is that it takes place in about real time. About. That, about. Give or um, take. Not exactly real time, because some things happen before and after, but a, a typical episode is about 45 minutes with credits and stuff, and and so we end up in a sort of real time uh, yeah, a 24 sort of thing. Well, no, and, no. and that, there's even an illusion there, because so the TV show 24 started in... 2001 and became extremely popular and that real-time format you know that 24 had became something that a lot of people experimented with and this episode Mm -hmm. is a deliberate allusion to that which is why it's called not 24 but 42 42. flip it around yeah well and and i was i mentioning before we started recording i was very disappointed that there was no reference to hitchhiker's guy of the galaxy because of course 42 is the meaning of the life universe and everything yeah and there wasn't even the, as Don said, there was there wasn't even don't panic, you know, yeah, nothing, right. no reference to Douglas Adams at all. Very yeah. disappointing in that. Which, uh, you know, you would expect because Douglas Adams was the a script editor on Doctor Who back in the day. I mean, there's a connection. So, yep. yeah, that was kind back of, in, in Tom Baker's day. Yep. So that that was kind of a, a, a lost opportunity. But the uh, this episode is also notable for something else uh, behind the scenes, which is that this was Chris Chibnall's first. Doctor Who story. Uh, of course, he'd already already been the head writer at 
of Torchwood at this point, the Doctor Who spinoff. But this was his first story for Doctor Who. And of course, we know that he's now the the showrunner in the in the most recent season and the upcoming season uh, with the 13th Doctor. So and it's, uh, and it's the best thing he's ever written for Doctor Who and the only right. really satisfying thing. <laughs> Right. So and and of course, we talked about this episode a little bit in our uh, review of Chris Chibnall's work on Doctor Who uh, that we did before the beginning of the of the most recent season, uh, the 11th season. Uh, but uh, and you can go back and listen to, to that overall. Um, I mean, he's had some uh, hot messes of episodes, uh, most notoriously dinosaurs on a spaceship uh, and, and which we, I mean, I know you guys are looking forward to getting to that in the, oh, uh, boy. In the course of things. Uh, <laughs> so we'll have fun ripping that one apart. Yes, yes. Um, another notable uh, addition to this episode is one of the characters, the Doctor on the ship, not the Doctor, but the the woman who plays the Doctor on board the ship they board. Abby, a- Abby, thank you, is played by Vinette Robinson, who would later play Rosa Parks in That's the right. Rosa episode. Uh, written by Chris Chibnall. So apparently he liked working with her and maybe had worked with her other times. And he has he does have a habit of bringing in people that he's worked with on uh, on other shows into his into his work. Uh, so. She was she was really nice. I really liked her character. She was very mm-hmm. enjoyable. Yeah. Unfortunately, she's not in that much of the episode because her character dies pretty quickly. But yes. yep, she has she is short lived literally in this. Uh, uh, so the the episode itself Kind of it. It's it's a running around crazy with your hair on fire sort of episode. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just sort of w- what it and, is, and that's what real time TV drama is meant to be, right? If, what I if, what I liked about this, even though it is a lot of literally running through corridors on this spaceship, for once it feels <laughs> like there's a reason for that. Well, it's it's right. a very very long spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and also they're they're yeah. doing stuff and they've got to get from one place to another. And it's not just fleeing through corridors. Right. It's like goal directed where we're going through corridors. Right. That's actually a very important, I think, difference for, for dramatic purposes is if you're just constantly running away from something that can get old fast. But but, you know, they're, they've, they've got to run here to do a task and then run there to do a task. And bad things are happening. It's not just simply running. Mm-hmm. I mean, things are going on and and, and, and the doctor I mean, it's kind of like me on a Saturday when my wife is out and I've got five kids, you know, like I'm running from one crisis to the next, trying to keep everything together. <laughs> and, uh, and that's that's what it looks like with, you know, with the doctors. He's running from one crisis to another, trying to keep it all together. Um, right. and, and you can sense in, in him as in, in, well done by David Tennant and by Chibnall writing this, um, the growing uh, tension and crisis in him as he's trying to. To keep it all together. Uh, yeah. For the and, end. Uh, and and uh, he he barely hangs on by his fingernails and he mm-hmm. is not the one who solves the ultimate problem at the end for once. It's right. It's yeah. a team effort, which and, and he is out of commission by the end right. of it. He's exactly. helpless. He would have died if it hadn't been for everyone else working together who still survived at that point. Which is which is what I one of the things I like about this. It's a good, basic, fun adventure episode. It doesn't have a magic ending. They have to build mm-hmm. the solution piece by piece. There's not some deus ex mahina at the end where everything gets solved with, you know, something they could have done at any time. 
Um, it it's nice. It's also it has a, a kind of standard morality story where humans tampered in something they shouldn't, and the, they're having payback yeah. now. Uh, but it also has some really emotionally moving moments. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's the moment where, uh, and both of them involving people falling into the sun. There's the moment where Martha and uh, Riley are falling away from the spaceship in the escape pod, and the doctor's watching Martha. And you have this silent moment because there's no atmosphere between them, but he's screaming. Right. And and then later when um, uh, you have, I forget her last name, but Kath, the captain. Mm-hmm. McDonald. Is yeah. McDonald. Yeah. <clears throat> she is um, she is sacrificing herself to save everybody else by luring her former husband slash sun creature into right, right. the airlock and then tripping the airlock. So they're blown out into space. And the last thing she says is, I love you. And, you know, it's it's right. really effective. Yes, it is. Um, there, there's um, I, I would say that one of the things that's interesting about this is like a lot of this episode so far this season, there is a parallelism with between what is going on with Martha and what they did with Rose. And I don't think it's just um that they're copying or that they they don't mm-hmm. have new ideas. I think there's an intentionality in it so that this, so like this episode is very similar to the impossible planet in Satan pit, that, that whole where the planet was falling into a black hole instead of into a sun, because the people who were on board the space station on the planet surface, as opposed to a spaceship have, were doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. And so there was all this, it was, it's very similar but I think it's a parallelism. I think it's intentional yeah. in, in that case. And we even start and close the episode with bits of business along that order, where at the beginning of the episode, the doctor is tweaking Martha's mobile phone. So she now yeah. has universal roaming, which is something he did for Rose very early on. Yep. And mm-hmm. it's taken all this time for him to do it for Martha. And then at the end of the episode, um, he gives her a TARDIS key. Yep. And that was, again, something he gave Rose very early. And Martha's really had to earn her place because we're now eight episodes in to the Martha saga. And yep. it wasn't until last episode that she became an official ongoing companion. And so now right. he's finally doing the companion things for her. Of course, the, yeah. the problem with that, with those parallels, is that weakens Martha as a character. Yeah. And I we, I know we've talked about that before, but Martha is almost kind of a forgotten companion during the Tenet era because there are these parallels that they ran between her and Rose. And yeah. I, I think it, it really gives her kind of short shrift as a character that they did it that way. It makes her the counterpoint to Rose as opposed to a character all standing all on her own. Correct. Yeah. Although I think it makes me like Martha that she overcame that adversity. Because mm-hmm. she got a raw deal with the doctor True. True. and yeah. she she proved herself anyway, as this episode illustrates. I mean, she even kind of takes the vinegar out of him a little bit at the end by saying, didn't really need you in the end, did we? That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, it, speaking of the universal roaming is so they the, they first did it for Rose. Uh, of course, they didn't do this in Classic Who because people didn't have cell phones. Nope. But so the, the first time we saw this was for Rose. But then he did it. He'll do it again for Donna, Amy, and Rory, um, and then he'll do it to a phone when he's trapped on the planet of San Helios, um, hmm. which mm-hmm. which is that was it the the rings of Akatan? Aka- no, no, that's the one of the specials where um, he's companionless before the regeneration. The, hmm. This doctor, 
but it, well, that's but that's it. Uh, you yeah. Know. Now what they what they need to do, but they didn't have smartphones really yet. In I mean they they did, but not like we do today. Is yeah. not only do you need universal roaming, you need universal data. Because exactly. then Martha right. could have just Googled how who had the most down <laughs> the most number ones pre download Elvis just, or the Beatles. I'm just I'm just impressed that the uh, the smartphone had the uh, software built in to handle universal roaming through time and space, <laughs> so that would actually show up on the display. Yes, uh, apparently, yeah. Well, it's interesting. There is a comic, a Doctor Who comic book, that had uh, that did it later when one of the companions had a smartphone. And he installed the Doctor app, uh, which does a lot of the same thing. Oh. And it has, and the icon is the TARDIS. I, I, I want that app actually. I would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it must be sideloaded. Uh, so, so as you as we mentioned, this is Martha's first real trip uh, as companion on the TARDIS. And uh, right off the bat, they get this this distress signal, and we get TARDIS separation. The TARDIS is locked away for a away. good reason. Right, it's locked away in a room that is because it's three thousand degrees. Um, mm-hmm. they just land in the wrong place, wrong side of that door. Um, the engine is out. The ship has gone mad. There are seven people on board, and someone has smashed the engine on purpose. I mean, that's boom confronted right the, off yep. the bat for the doctor. Right. Also, so, also our environment reflects on the ship. It's claustrophobic because it's this kind of grungy spaceship. But it's yeah, also yeah. everything is like red and orange in the color scheme to suggest visually the heat. Yes, that everyone right. is experiencing and it it's effective. I like the bright colors. Right. I, I, Modern who the recent season was like felt a lot of the time washed out with the color mm-hmm. palette. Well, this it, the ship very much looked like a construction site, a work ship. You know, right. it, it did not look like a cruise liner. You know, sometimes you'll see these these uh, and classic who would kind of do that. You'd be on a cargo ship and it looked like a, you know, a luxury cruise liner. Right. <laughs> right. And yes. going through the corridors. This is although the color palette and the situation are a little different. I mean, if you think about it, this is basically the Nostromo from Alien. It's an mm-hmm. industrial ship. It's not meant to be pretty. It's a cargo transport, just like the, the Nostromo. Yep. And it is uh it's you so you got all this machinery all over the place. Uh and and something alien is loose and killing people one at a time. So this is basically alien meets 24. Yep. Right. Yes. Um, and, and like you said, Jimmy, the production design on this is great. They filmed on, on location in some industrial places, uh, which which is actually become a thing. A lot of uh, uh, sci fi are using these industrial places to substitute for uh, spaceships and that sort of thing. Um, kind of like, like the Star Trek movies using a brewery for the Enterprise's uh, <laughs> the engine engineering room. section. Yes, the Enterprise runs on a beer. So, uh, but that's another show. That's a good thing. <laughs> so I, I liked it. One line that the doctor has early on when he's told, you know, the, the catalog, how bad things are and they're doomed. He says, oh, listen to you. Defeat it before you've even started. Where's your Dunkirk spirit? <laughs> and I, yeah. I like that reference, the, uh, the Dunkirk spirit uh, there, which is, of course, a reference to the uh the 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 British the, evacuation and during World War II that at mm-hmm, a, in right. an otherwise catastrophic situation that allowed them to come back and be resilient in the war right and that was yeah. pulled off mainly in, in large part by anyway by civilians uh stepping up uh and and taking taking on that task of evacuation so uh but I, I like that one and then then we get so we had TARDIS separation then we get companion separation Martha goes off with Riley uh, the aforementioned rally mm-hmm. to open the seals yep. do- steel doors to the bridge, which um, 
And again, for a plausible reason. Yes, yes. And, and and I like the, the, the gimmick in that as well, which is that the doors are, are sealed, they're deadlocked uh, for security purposes. And the only way to unlock it is you have to answer a bunch of these questions, which, you know, you know how it is, is when you've got security questions on your password, on your oh. account, you've got your password and you got to know, oh, what did I put down? Because, you know, you're not supposed to put the actual answer any these days, right? You're not supposed to put down where you actually live because that can be Googled. <laughs> you know where you were born or what your mother's maiden name was you're not supposed to actually use that stuff you have to don't, remember don't what they, it is you said don't they have a uh, two-factor authentication in the uh 42nd century or whatever <laughs> well, year this was yeah so this this is something that if you stop to think about it as i did the you know the the security procedures with these doors are pretty ridiculous i mean yeah. they're ridiculously hard to get through the the they have cover for that though to yes. some degree, because they explained that the crew got drunk and, and, and came up them. and came up with the, the with well, the questions. And so not, not, I, I can imagine while they were drunk, they also made this much harder than it should be, because there should be emergency ways to cut through these things that yeah. don't yeah. exist. Well, and I assume those get, got eliminated in the drunken reprogramming session. Not, not just not just did the crew get drunk, but it wasn't even the same crew. Right. right. There's been turnover this, in the crew. So s- some turnover in the crew. Yeah. I want to know who the uh, the the drunken crew member is who still had the wherewithal to come up with happy primes as a uh, yeah, exactly <laughs> so, Ob- so obviously can you someone that to who one, is- Jimmy. Oh sure, what, what's a happy yeah. prime? <clears throat> so it, it involves two kinds of numbers: happy numbers and prime numbers. Uh, everyone pretty much knows prime numbers. It's a number that's divisible by only by itself and one. So um, so two, three, five, seven, eleven, thirteen, and so forth are all prime numbers. But numbers like uh, four is not because you can divide it both by itself and one and two yeah. and have mm-hmm. a whole remainder. A happy number is a number if you take the individual digits of the number and square them and add them up and keep doing that. So you iterate the process. It'll eventually go to one. If it doesn't go to one, it'll go to the number four and then have a cyclical loop of eight numbers it just cycles through. And those are called sad numbers because they never get down to one. An example of a happy number is 100. So if you take one, square it, that's one. Zero, square it, that's zero. Another zero, square that, that's zero. So one plus zero plus zero is one. So 100 is a happy number in one step. Right. So, so any, 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 a lot of those a lot of those numbers will end up happy numbers will end up at 100. Right. Which you then go to and then and then reduce to one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so any number that's both happy and prime is a happy prime. OK. And then mm-hmm. he so the doctor saw the sequence and knew exactly what it was immediately because uh, on Gallifrey, uh, recreational math is a thing. <laughs> and here on Earth, too. I'm going to have a pick at the end of the show about that. Oh, good. good oh, interesting. Good, good. So I, I can, we kind of jumped ahead of, but you did mention the what the 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 uh, the problem is. What's causing this issue is that uh, there's an infection among the crew that starts with Corwin, who's the husband of the captain, and uh, he he's infected and disabled pretty early on, um, and taken to uh, the sick bay where um, they're trying to put him into stasis, and he's thrashing and opens his eyes and light bursts out and vaporizes poor Dr. Abby. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and he's now become a, a, a sort of, yes, a sort of a star zombie. Um, I mean, spoilers. <laughs> so what happens is this, this 
star that they're they're or they're falling into is is the star alive? I didn't get yes. quite get that. Yes. The yeah, star is alive. That's what they came up with. They directly said the star is alive, which I love because as as you Dom know, we've mentioned a couple <laughs> of times on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World the idea that stars might fit the definition of life. Yeah. Um because mm-hmm. they consume energy, they have metabolism that's stable over periods of time, they reproduce you know, they give they explode and give birth to other stars. And because those later stars have greater metallicity, um, they evolve over time. Right. So you have a lot of the characteristics of life in stars, um, even if you don't even if they're not sentient like this one is. And so this one displays qualities that that ordinary stars don't. And given the age of the universe, there wouldn't be enough time for this to evolve, nat- this kind of star to evolve naturally. Hmm. But maybe it came from another universe or maybe someone monkeyed with its evolution. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and, hmm. and, and so it it's alive even when p- pieces of it are separated from the whole. Uh, the, the, the parts hmm. are still uh, part of the whole, even separated by distance in, or inside someone. Uh, mm-hmm. And and the star is mad because the ship uses an illegal scoop to to scoop sun from uh, uh, fuel from the sun. Yeah, fusing solar plasma. It's a fusion scoop, and so they've been basically. It's you know what would you think if someone came along and just started you know scooping huge chunks out of your body? <laughs> right. I think ow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, although, uh, what, uh, I mean. I'm try- I was trying to come up with a plausible explanation for why such devices, fusion scoops, would be illegal. I mean, maybe just because they're dangerous to the crew of the ship, or just- they're or they're dangerous. They could, yeah, they could be dangerous in in several different ways. It, one thing that that occurred to me was they could be illegal because some people, obviously not Captain McDonald, know that stars can be alive. Right. Um, and but now McDonald doesn't know that and she says, well, how can a star be alive? Um, right. But she also knows she was supposed to have scanned for life, but said she didn't because right. it would have taken too long and they would have they could have been caught. Um, so there there that would suggest there's some lengthy scanning process for life that there's that protocol says you're supposed mm-hmm. to use on a star. And she skipped that step. So right, that's right. A, there's a little cognitive dissonance there for me. Well, why, if she knew she's supposed to scan a star for life, why would she be surprised that a star might turn up alive on such a scan? Right, right. I mean, th- why would they have her scanning stars for life if if it was, you know, if no one Something knew that was a possibility? Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, even, so, yeah. if, even if you take away this idea that stars could be alive, just the, the fact of, you know, you can think of it like from a mining argument of, you know, depleting stars. You can yeah, see that have, being an actual concern, although admittedly, there's a well, lot of a lot of you know <laughs> material in a star. But depending on how many how interstellar much I don't car- know. I cargo mean, ships there are flying around there, you know, well, and here's even a one, small here's, star and in tens of thousands of cargo ships, it would still take a lot to deplete a star. Yeah, but, it would. But <laughs> this is space fantasy. Also, yeah. one one thing that could make it dangerous is not just for the people on the ship, but also people in nearby solar systems, because right. if the thing that causes supernovas is when stars burn through their nuclear fuel and it changes mm-hmm. the internal dynamic in the star and it leads to a supernova. And so you if you take enough matter out of the right kind of star, it could lead to an early supernova that might not 
be scheduled to occur for millions or billions of years. And all of a sudden, wham, all of the nearby solar systems get blasted with supernova radiation. I mean, yeah, we easy assumption to say that they're taking, you know, a percentage of a percentage of the star's mass, but we don't know. Again, like you said, Uh, though, this is space fusion or space uh, fantasy. fantasy, So it is necessary that it be illegal. Let's let's, let's just say that. Um, So we did mention that um, Martha runs into the uh, the question that nobody can answer who had the most numbers pre-download, which is a fun uh, most number one hits Elvis or the Beatles. And so she she phones a friend (laughs) and and, and the doctor doesn't know, although immediately thereafter, he's he's just kind of babbling and he says, here comes the sun. (laughs) 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 Uh, Nice. Yeah. Reference acknowledged, doctor. Uh, so Martha phones a friend, calls her mom to have her look it up on the Internet, uh, which was, again, a nice walk down uh, 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 old Rose. technology lane uh, mm-hmm. as, yeah. as her mom. I have to plug in the mouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. yeah. Hurry, mom. This life or death. Um, it's, who knew that uh, looking that up on Google would be life or death? Uh, a question like that. But and meanwhile, <laughs> her mom is trying to get her to talk about the doctor and and this concern and where we're continuing on from. Last time, which was uh, with the at Professor Lazarus's uh, uh, debacle, uh, where the this fellow from the Harold Saxon Prime Minister of Britain, mm-hmm. his from his staff, uh, approached her, Mrs. Uh, Martha's mom, Francine, to he's, he's not Prime Minister yet, but he's a candidate for Prime Minister. It was oh, it was okay. election day. Was when they oh, mentioned right. that it was election yeah. day. Right, right, right. And so he'd approached her to kind of warn her about the doctor. Yeah. I like also how even though Martha's mom is being influenced by the Harold Saxon people, she's not like all on board because oh, yes. she's she at the end when she mentioned when one of the aides mentions that it's election day, she says, you don't expect me to tell you who I voted for. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I'm not inviting you in for tea. Uh, so, uh, yeah, as they as they pack, because because that's what we find out later is that the saxon's people are in the in martha uh francine's home tapping the call trying to trace it trying to trace where martha is with the doctor yeah Uh, so 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 the implication then is that the master because that's who we're going to eventually learn harold saxon is is trying to figure out where the doctor is through his companion right and and the companion's family what i really liked in this episode even though uh martha's mom is largely unsympathetic like like Jackie Tyler mm-hmm. was initially. Mm-hmm. Even she less comes, so. Yeah. Even, yeah. She comes across, I don't know. I was pretty unsympathetic with Jackie in the <laughs> okay. beginning. Right. Um, <laughs> but it, she comes across much more sympathetic in this episode because she is, I mean, she's been told, she's genuinely concerned about her daughter. She's been told this mm-hmm. stuff about the doctor. She's scared for her daughter. She's taken up with this strange man who's put been it, putting her in dangerous situations. She gets this hysterical, crazy call. Yeah. Um, you know, needing to know this trivial fact. And her best explanation is, what is this like a a, a pub quiz? And and yeah. she's thinking that, um, you know, her daughter's gone crazy over something trivial. And then she later in the episode, when uh, Martha and Riley are in the escape pod, she calls back basically to say goodbye without telling right. her mom that she thinks she's about to die. And it's it's and her mom picks up on it, that she's in grave danger and really cares about her. And it's a really sympathetic side. 
to to her mom. And then as the camera pans, we see the the Saxonade in the background. And right. so it's this mix yep. of it's it's very interestingly textured emotionally. Yes, yes that's true. Yes, that it and it it's part of the the arc that they're creating for this season, the this this uh, which is planned from the beginning. But yeah, the arc is now progressing even further through this 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 episode. Um, we have what, another character, Arena. Uh, she's uh, sort of like the mechanics mate in the, on board oh, yeah. the ship, mm-hmm. and she she dies pretty early. She doesn't get much to do except she has one point where she's she's all mad at the other guy and says, "Ugh, just kill me now!" And turns around and there's a guy and he kills her. Uh, which yeah, yep. a little bit of I- ironic uh, statement there. Um, see the the doctor um, is convinced that they've come into contact with something while McDonald denies it, but McDonald's denials seem forced, seem mm-hmm. insincere. Like, yeah, she really does know something's going on. Um, oh, oh! By the way, in in the medical examination of Corwin, um, yep. one thing for American viewers that might be a little puzzling is they say his internal temperature is a hundred oh, yes. degrees, and they're yep. all agog at that. And it's like, okay, why ninety eight point six is normal yeah. human body temperature? Why is having a mild fever a big deal? Yeah. Well, that's because this is in the Celsius scale, and yeah. on the Celsius scale, a hundred degrees is the temperature at which water boils. Right. Yeah. So this is over 200 degrees. And his body oxygen was being replaced by hydrogen, they said. So, uh, That's nice and explosive. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. Hot hydrogen. Uh, so we, we talked about uh, Martha and Riley get chased into an airlock by Corwin uh, and they end up, uh, I mean, it's like a bad place to hide. You know what I mean? It, oh, uh, it's a, I mean, not, not just an airlock, but uh, an escape pod on the airlock. And it's like, yep. oh well, he'll take care of that, and he, and he tries to eject them, and they're, uh, they're both. I don't know what it is. Like they're tapping the keypad to try to block each other, and it just looks like there's random banging on the wall. Uh, one of them is wearing don't do anything, a, and the Corwin is wearing a big bulky glove that's going to make his rapid keypadding super accurate. Right, and then uh, eventually and it works by could, just punching it. <laughs> only thing I could think of was that he was the the. The one in the the pod there was was setting like security codes very quickly. It could be. But it's it kind of interesting be. that his system is so that he could just quickly keep punching the keypads and keep setting these security codes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, speaking of keypad troubles, later when the doctor has been infected with the sun stuff, um, he tells Martha to cool him down to uh, in 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 the stasis chamber to cool him down to minus two hundred, which is negative three twenty eight on the Fahrenheit scale and just 130 degrees from absolute zero. So that's yes. quite cold. But what I noticed is there is no minus sign on the keypad. So Martha just punches in 200. And <laughs> the machine somehow knows to make that negative, not positive. 200 for, for 40 minutes until it takes an internal temperature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it'll be up. done. <laughs> Uh, as you mentioned, the the doctor screaming through the vacuum of space as the as the escape pod uh, falls away from the ship um, is a pretty effective moment. There, you know, he keeps yelling, "I'll save you! I'll save you!" And but you, but it's there's no music, no nothing else, and it's just quiet. And it's that effective mm-hmm. sort of space horror mm-hmm. moment. Um, and then in the escape pod, Martha and Riley talk about the people they're they're leaving behind as as they they feel like they're doomed. Um, so Martha calls her mom but riley doesn't have anybody to talk to but encourages her to call uh her family 
I, I wonder if if Riley ever gets the sense at any point that Martha might not be like him from, you know, the, the time period. I mean, the fact is, is she's got a phone that can call across the universe in her yeah. hand, you know? Maybe they've got that in the 42nd century or whenever this is. Yeah, so. and he just doesn't have it on him. It could yeah. be. Um, so uh, Ashton, who's the other one who gets uh, infected by uh, Corwin, he gets lured into sick bay and shoved in the stasis chamber where he's killed. Yeah, um, Kath kills him. Captain yeah. McDonald kills him by freezing him. Yep. Uh, then the doctor is going to go out into space to save Martha, even though uh, the other guy, the mechanic, Scannell, says it will kill him. Uh, but of course, the doctor will survive because, you know, the doctor. Um, now, th this is where I have a little bit of another question. The doctor is going to remagnetize the hull to pull the pod back. Right. With the pod so far away, and given the star's magnetosphere, which is around, yeah. surrounding them, how would this, such a thing even work? I mean, why yeah. would it be operated from outside the ship? I have to yeah. go outside the ship to flip a lever. It just yeah, seems that, really well, bad. So, that was, so this is one of the things about this episode, is this starship is not well designed. No, <laughs> um, like they, they, the whole thing about they can, they have to get to the other end of the ship to turn on the auxiliary engines, which right. are meant for emergencies. Right. It's right. It, it, you'd think any emergency system should be accessible from any terminal in right. the whole place. Certainly you, not where the the main control is in on the bridge, which is when there's an emergency. It might be because the bridge has been incapacitated. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like they can only turn on the main engines from this one area and they can only turn on the auxiliary engines from this other area and they can only magnetize the hull from going by going outside. It's, yeah. you know, well, I can imagine explanations involving all the sabotage that was done, but it's not those aren't provided to us. Right. Yeah. Well, well the, I mean, you got the stasis chamber is controlled by a big, nasty main power switch right in the middle of engineering, too. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, <laughs> that I yeah. cut him a little slack on because, you know, there would be a line that, yep, let's just depower the med bay. Right. It's a circuit breaker, uh, yeah. essentially. Yeah. So uh, the doctor gets infected um, with the, the star and. And, and uh, it's a nice subversion of his moment of triumph. Because yes. it's like he's mm -hmm. just saved Martha and there's the beginning of triumph and then he realizes he's infected. Right. And uh, however, so he threw his space suit, however, somehow that that sun creature got through his space suit to infect mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And uh, this, the doctor, uh, you know, wants to be put into the uh, stasis chamber, as you mentioned, and, and frozen, have the, the, the sun frozen out of him. Um, and he starts to explain regeneration to Martha. I didn't yeah. notice. Um, and he's saying, I'm scared. I'm so scared. Yeah. You know, that's really nice to see the doctor mm -hmm. scared like that. Right. Although I, ha I was sitting there going, OK, instead of spending all this time chatting about how scared you are and put him in the chamber. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. Put him in. It's time's <laughs> wasting. <laughs> We're all going to die. Uh, well, so she was, she was being the, you know, the nice doctor, the bedside manner, reassuring <laughs> your patient. And right. Instead Sometimes. of just jamming them in there and hitting the button. <laughs> Sometimes you should ignore your training. Yes, yeah. exactly. Put him in, push the button. Uh, McDonald sacrifices herself to kill the creature in Corwin because uh, Corwin is a, is lost at this point. He's not he's he's dead. Uh, the doctor has, has told uh, McDonald. Um, and then, that was uh, another nice moment where she said, don't give me false hope. And he says, he's, he's gone. There's no coming back. And right. I'm sorry. 
Right. That was a that was it was a hard, brutal moment, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, necessary. Uh, let's see. Um, you know, coincidentally or not, and this is an interesting uh, little observation. The sun here, the star, only possesses men, and those it possesses only kill women. Oh. Now I wonder what that was about. If that was I, like so, the Doctor Corwin and Ashton all get possessed, but McDonald, Arena, and Abby are all killed by the by the sun creature. Well, I'm huh. not sure about this deconstruction of falling stars. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a Babylon Five reference. Yes. Um, I don't look at the world through that lens, so that yes. never even occurred to me. But now that you yeah. pointed out, it is the it is mathematically true in this episode the, the yeah. there we go that the star is sexist <laughs> something i don't know <laughs> I, I mean i just was curious if, if chibnall maybe had uh a point he was making or i don't know i mean or just it, this it, just happened it, to be the characters it it could be also that um that i mean I, I, this is just speculation i mean it could be these were open castings and they didn't even have genders picked out for these characters because right. except for kath right. and corwin being married which wouldn't even matter now, but it did at the time. Yeah. Um, they they may have not even had genders assigned to these characters in the script. Right. Um, but if they did, and if it was a deliberate choice, I would assume it's because um, evolutionarily men are designed to protect women. And, um, and consequently it tugs the audience's feel and, and, and consequently, you know, women have less like, body strength and so forth, less upper body strength. And right. so <clears throat> statistically, and so there's a, like a feeling of vulnerability that can play, be brought into play in the, in the horror sense. Mm -hmm. We're going to feel more empathetic for a woman under threat than a man under threat. Right. Mm -hmm. Corwin's a big, strong dude. Um, whereas, you know, arena, for example, is smaller and weaker. And so having him attack her is, uh, horrible horrible to us it's a horror thing it's space horror that's, yeah. that's what makes it so horrible um so i said horror that's, that's one of the things that makes ripley such a great protagonist in alien yes mm -hmm. because she if, she subverts if, that yeah if, and she she's a strong woman who takes care of herself but she's also a woman and that makes her more empathetic than if that was just right. some guy right and it was and it was a very you know in, in this episode it was a very uh powerful image to see these very big men with those big welders masks yeah. on dehumanizing right. welders masks right that was clearly the idea between the masks was to just kind of dehumanize them and make them a, a sort of faceless entity um, and then of course but it's mcdonald who is strong and um you know takes that it's a really an empathetic moment i mean it's mm -hmm. it's it's it, you know it's uh she in love uh, yeah. saves the others, sacrifices herself, and takes Corwin with her, uh, or what remains of him. Yep. Um, so speaking of men and women, uh, at the end, uh, Martha has a kiss with Riley. Uh, yeah, one, one so thing before we hit the, the very end. Um, okay. So this, throughout the ship, now they don't do what they did on 24, which is actually put a running clock on the screen. Yeah. Um, but what they do instead is they have the ship's computer periodically updating us, like how many minutes until... Right. Into, you know, 42 minutes until sundive, which is right. Uh, that that would be a, uh, a Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide reference. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, at, at the end, we stop hearing time updates 
from the computer, and we instead hear survival estimate projection 0%. Right. And this is like the worst moment. It's like we're all going to die. The computer has confirmed it. What they should have, but this comes out of nowhere. They didn't have previous survival estimates. And and so it's a flaw in the writing. It's a minor flaw, but it's a flaw in the writing. They If they're going to do that at the end, they should set it up by having survival estimate 80 percent, survival estimate 45 percent, survival right. estimate 17 percent. You know, you need to count that down like you're now, counting down the time if you're going to make that dramatic zero percent at the end. Now, right. they did have the heat shield countdown where heat right. shield at 25 heat shield failing 25% heat shield failing 10% right. and so on and i think that was just kind of an extension of that is yeah, how they well, did it then they should right. have said heat shield gone Sur- yeah. or and made the connection they could have it, said or imminent failure of heat shield survival estimate zero right. you know yeah they needed to they needed to just tweak it on the dialogue level yeah that's true uh it yeah otherwise yeah impact well the the um they did have impact in 217 Survival estimate projection zero percent, and then and then the line um, life support systems critical impact in one oh six. So there was still right. counting down at that point, I guess. And then collision alert, collision alert. Um, I mean, they took it. Uh, I'm I'm curious what they were where they were going to have them collide with. Whether it's the photosphere, the surface of the how close were they actually going to get to this planet before See, they were? That's what I figured. Is it I would, mean, they would more? Yeah, it yeah. would more. The ship would more melt and crush in the gravity of the star before it would even yeah. actually right. contact the surface, if you will. And that's that's what I liked that they did cover that in the dialogue where they this like to point of fatal whatever right they did so they they were they knew that this is like you're not going to be able to get all the way down to the surface before you're gone right mm-hmm. that, that although it, it is the one of those things with all all science fiction does this it's not just dr it's right. the, the 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 bright line as long as you get away as long as you solve it one second before you get to that bright line you're yep. saved we cross the line you're doomed and it's Kinda like like yeah cutting yeah. cutting the uh cutting the the red wire on the bomb with one second left yeah. Right. It, but it just does. I mean, I, how does that there, work? There's yeah. never a you're maimed. Yeah, Which, right, by the way, right. this, 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 the scene in Galaxy Quest about that was brilliant. Oh, I have to remember the self-destruct. that. The, yep. the ship self-destruct oh, yeah. was activated and they hit the button and it kept counting. Because, of course, <laughs> it had to keep counting to one second for dramatic <laughs> purposes. Right, right. That's right. That's right. So, I'm sorry. so I mentioned that uh, uh, Martha gets a kiss with Riley, which uh, yeah, apparently he's, he's is sweet so on the, her. They yeah, bonded. So the crush on uh, the doctor, though. Uh, uh, although mm-hmm. the, with a lot of these things, it seems like you know the the, the crushes and whatnot survive these uh, transitory flings as they travel about. So um, I guess it doesn't yeah. really mean much. Well, Martha has no intention of staying with this guy. She's just letting him off nice. I mean, yeah, she yeah. she recognizes that he's. That he's a good guy, and uh, it, it, this is a Princess Leia for luck in your future life kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, uh, and notice, but, notice how she says it. It was nice not yes. dying, not dying with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that is that is. Uh, the doctor, as you mentioned, gives uh, Martha the TARDIS key as a frequent flyer privilege, and um, and then we 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 end with uh, Francine's home back back at Martha's uh, mom's house uh, with Francine and the uh, the the sinister woman who is uh, who has been tapping the phone and the the dialogue over uh, have you voted 
Now, and, now uh, I want I want to know if their taps are just temporal or, or you know, uh, yeah, are they spatial both time or temporal? And space? Yeah, yeah right. spatial are or they, temporal? Yeah. Are they tracking the? Are they using Gal- You know, the Time Lord technology. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, that's all. I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's not much more to to than that. I mean, did, do you have any more notes, either of you, on on this episode? Father, you first. Uh, just one minor thing is the, those windows on that spaceship must have really, really good solar glazing. The fact that they can look directly <laughs> into a sun and it not completely blind them instantly. Yes, that's true. That's true. Uh, Jimmy? Okay, so here's my pick. Um, as we know, in this episode, the doctor utters the line, don't they teach recreational mathematics anymore? And then you have Matt. So this is the 10th doctor, David Tennant. Then the 11th doctor is Matt Smith. And he's got this manic presentation style. And then the the 12th doctor, Peter Capaldi, actually becomes a lecturer at a university. And so you could imagine what if you had a blend of these doctors, 10th, 11th and 12th, who is an actual lecturer in recreational mathematics at a British university? Well. Uh We're going to have something in the show notes because there is a comedy mathematician math professor in England (laughs) named Matt Parker, and he is startlingly like Matt Smith in his presentation style and accent and things like that. And he gave a lecture for the Royal Institute. They have these Christmas lectures over in England at the Royal Institute uh, every year on matters of math and science, and he gives this one on on four-dimensional recreational mathematics, it is absolutely hilarious and amazing. It's like called like things to see and do in the fourth dimension. And nice. um, and so I, I watched this recently and I thought, wow, this is like the doctor doing lectures on recreational mathematics. <laughs> so um, so uh, I'll send the link over to you, Dom, and we'll put it sure. in the show notes. We'll, we'll definitely put that in. That's awesome. Uh, so. Uh, I think that's it on on uh, 42. Before we go, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, today, we're thanking uh, it, particularly by name Patricia S., Joseph S., Philip C., Father Terrence, and Anusha M. through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. They make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows we do at sqpn.com. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of this story? Uh, 42. Uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback there or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. You'll find that link uh, that Jimmy gave us uh, on our show notes at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time. We'll be, we'll be discussing the fifth Doctor story, Hinda. I, I said it right this time. Yeah. Hinda, not kinda. Kinda. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Well, thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, burn with me. Right. This is going to be fun.